Hey everyone, it's OV True Crime, and I am posting this update at the beginning of all of my podcast episodes. Unfortunately, due to time restraints, I wasn't able to continue doing the podcast. However, I found another way to talk about true crime that fits in with my schedule. I now stream live at Twitch, and you can find me there at OV True Crime. OV True Crime. I think it's a more unique experience because instead of you just listening to me tell you a story, it's more interactive. We're discussing it live, you can see pictures, news articles, and watch news clips. We find out about it together, we discuss it, and sometimes try to figure out what happened. So if you like true crime, head over to ovtruecrime.com. That's ovtruecrime.com. Thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Ohio Valley True Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. This is my second attempt at recording this episode, as previously during editing, my editing software crashed and I lost everything, so I apologize for the delay. A few things before we get started. More listeners have left reviews on iTunes, so thank you to Jesse, Veronica, and Ryan. I really appreciate all of the kind words. This podcast is a passion project, and it's really encouraging to know that people are enjoying it. I hope that I can continue to earn your good reviews and downloads. Don't forget that you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OVTrueCrime, the website OVTrueCrime.com, and on Facebook. Although I admit that I'm much more active on Twitter, so if you'd like to hear from me and keep more up to date, you can follow me there. After I upload an episode, I'll post the transcript and pictures on my website. Again, that's ovtruecrime.com. This week's case takes us to Louisville, Kentucky. It's a case that happened when I was four, but one that I grew up hearing about. It was a notorious case for the area. To this day, the case is told as a cautionary tale about how even the most guilty suspect can still get away with their crime. And now, let's begin. The Fifth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America reads, in part, Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. In today's terms, it means that if you are found guilty of a crime like murder, you can't be tried for the same crime again. It keeps prosecutors from trying a case over and over until they find a jury that's willing to convict. It's meant to keep our system fair. But, like they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In this case, that road led to a home in Louisville, Kentucky, where one person would die and two people would get away with it, despite irrefutable proof being found. However, as sometimes happens, karma had the final say. Brenda Sue Schaefer was 36 years old, loved by her family, friends, and co-workers. Born and raised in Louisville, She married right out of high school, but the marriage only lasted four years. The separation was hard on Brenda due to her strong religious beliefs. Afterwards, Brenda moved back in with her parents in a suburb outside of the main city. Her next serious relationship was with dentist Jim Rush. 
This relationship would last eight years, but ended due to disagreements and Jim's drinking. In 1986, at age 34, Brenda's life took a turn, and unfortunately, in a story that's all too familiar, red flags were ignored. Brenda met 48-year-old Melvin Ignato in September of 1986. He was the father of three grown children and shared a house with his mother, and at the time, he was a traveling salesman. Right away, no one in Brenda's life really understood what she saw in him, but for whatever reason, the relationship continued. After only two months of dating, Ignato proposed to Brenda. Ignoring her doubts, Brenda agreed, but refused to set a date for the wedding. Afterwards, as is usually the case, Ignato's true personality came out. He became more controlling and abusive as time went on, most of which Brenda tried to keep hidden from everyone. Brenda, a Catholic, wary from failures of past relationships and wanting to make things work, made excuses for Mel's behavior. He would berate her for being frigid, wanted her to engage in sexual acts she wasn't comfortable with, and eventually would start giving her pills, pills that made her forget what happened the night before. Once, Brenda even awoke to finding Nato holding a rag soaked in chloroform near her face. He claimed he was only trying to help her relax. Brenda eventually confided to friends. They told her to leave, and they worried. Despite not knowing what was really going on, Brenda's family still deeply disliked Ignato. He was arrogant and demanding. They wanted Brenda to leave too. Brenda's boss, Dr. Spaulding, also saw part of this dark side of Ignato. He would call Brenda repeatedly at work, sometimes to yell at her. Brenda still stayed. Until 1988. Two years into her relationship with Ignato, Brenda had finally decided to leave. She had even started talking to her old boyfriend, Jim Rush, again. Ignato could sense that the end was coming, and he was not going to allow it to happen. Not on Brenda's terms. Ignato contacted his ex-girlfriend, Mary Ann Shore. Shore, who had continued a sexual relationship with Ignato despite his being with Brenda, would be described by the media and everyone else as overweight and unattractive when compared to the slim and pretty Brenda. I think that this characterization is unfair. What made Shore ugly was her personality, not her looks. She was selfish, rude, and did whatever Ignato wanted. Even the worst thing imaginable. For a month, Ignato and Shore plotted what they would do to an unsuspecting Brenda. They dug a grave in the woods near Shore's house that was six feet deep. They got their story straight, and Ignato even went so far as to make a checklist of the things that he wanted to do to Brenda before killing her. They finally put their plan into action on September 23, 1988. That day, Brenda and Ignato agreed to meet so that Brenda could return some jewelry and officially break off the relationship. Ignato drove Brenda to Shore's house, claiming that he needed to pick something up. As soon as they entered the house, Shore locked the door behind them, and the assault began. While Shore took dozens of photos, Ignato made Brenda strip, grovel, and repeat his pre-prepared script. The assault began with Brenda being tied to a coffee table, beaten, and sexually assaulted, then taken to a bedroom, tied down, and sexually assaulted more. The abuse and torture went on for hours. When Ignato had finally checked everything off his list, he soaked a rag in chloroform and held it to Brenda's face until she was dead. 
Afterwards, he tied her into the fetal position, wrapped her in garbage bags, and buried her. At just 36 years old, just when she was finally ready to be free of her abusive relationship, Brenda Sue Schaefer was dead. But the indignity of what happened to her didn't stop with her death. The court system would deliver one last blow. It would shock a city, devastate Brenda's family, and reveal how easily some murderers can go free. Brenda's family immediately knew something was wrong. Brenda's mother, who at the time was suffering from lupus, stayed up most of the night waiting for Brenda to come home. It was unlike her to not show up when she said she would, and by 3 a.m., her mother was deeply concerned. The next day, on the 24th, Brenda's mother called Ignato to see if he knew where Brenda was. Ignato claimed that he hadn't seen her since they parted company the previous day. Ignato then contacted police to report Brenda missing. On September 25th, Brenda's car was found abandoned on the side of Interstate 65. One of the rear tires was flat, the windows were smashed out, and the radio had been stolen. Police were suspicious because where the car was found was only half a mile from where Brenda lived, so had it broken down there, she could have easily walked home. When police went to the family to tell them the news of the car, Brenda's brothers strongly suspected that she was dead. They also thought that they knew who did it. When Ignato arrived at the family home to help figure out where Brenda could be, the family found that his crying and concern seemed hollow. Weeks went by with no sign of Brenda. Her brother Tom and his girlfriend Melinda went to police to inform them of their suspicions about Ignato's involvement. Before she'd gone missing, Brenda had confided to Melinda that Ignato had been sexually abusing her and that she wanted out. Police did interview Ignato at his home. When they met him at his house, they were surprised to find that Ignato had already prepared a written list of the day's events. Mel's timeline of the day Brenda went missing is as follows. He claimed that Brenda picked him up around 3 p.m. They went to a boat show, but changed their minds because it was raining and didn't exit the car. Instead, they parked and talked for a while. Afterwards, he said that the two drove to an art fair, but once again did not exit the car due to the rain. Eventually, Brenda dropped him off at home and left. He hadn't seen her since. Ignato did admit that he looked like a suspect. Police were suspicious, but had no evidence or leads to go on. By February of 1989, the police had run out of leads. But the people in Brenda's life had not given up. Brenda's boss, Dr. Spaulding, knew that Ignato had killed Brenda. He even went on local news saying so. He didn't have any proof, but he just knew. People in Louisville knew too. The local paper, the Courier-Journal, printed an article pointing to Mel Ignato. Frustrated that nothing was happening, Dr. Spaulding sent an anonymous letter to Ignato in March of 1989. The letter threatened to kill Ignato unless he revealed where the Brenda's body was. Spaulding was arrested over this and charged with threatening Ignato. In August of 1989, Mel was a witness in the trial of Dr. Spaulding. Ignato, once again, this time under oath, claimed that he didn't know what had happened to Brenda. In the end, Spaulding was fined $300. He was happy to pay. After that trial, in October of 1989, a little over a year since Brenda had gone missing, the local prosecutor decided to convene a grand jury and bring Ignato in for questioning. This is where Ignato would make his first mistake. During questioning, he mentioned Marianne Shore and that they had started their relationship again a month after Brenda had vanished. This was something that the police weren't aware of before. Detectives brought Shore in for questioning 
But no matter what they said or tactics they used, even after failing a polygraph test, even after one of the police told her that she was fat and ugly and Mel would kill her too, she still wasn't talking. At least not yet. The grand jury decided to subpoena Shore. During questioning, Shore got caught in a lie after claiming that she had only ever met Brenda once. This caused Shore to get up and flee the room. It all became too much for Shore, and finally, during another round of questioning on January 9th of 1990, she finally admitted that she had helped kill Brenda and knew where the body was. Shore took a plea deal. She would plead guilty to tampering with evidence if she showed the police the location of Brenda's body and helped them catch Ignato by wearing a wire. Shore met with Ignato and told him that police had been pressuring her and that she was worried that the property behind her house would be developed soon and that the body would be discovered. Ignato was furious and berated Shore, explaining to her how she could deal with the police, telling her that the hole they dug was deep enough and no one would find it. He never actually mentioned the murder or Brenda. But police thought that they had enough, and on January 19, 1990, they arrested Ignato at his home. Despite thorough searches of Ignato and Shore's homes, no physical evidence was found that could tie Ignato to the murder. Later that day, Brenda's body was finally recovered. As if they had just been waiting to know what happened, Brenda's mother finally succumbed to her disease six months after Brenda was discovered. Seven months after that, Brenda's father died. In pre-trial hearings, Ignato's lawyer argued that his client wouldn't be able to get a fair trial in Louisville, so the judge agreed that the trial would be held in a different city, about 100 miles away, and the trial began in December of 1991. It did not go well for the prosecutor. Shore, the key witness, performed badly on the stand. Dressed inappropriately and laughing, she didn't come across as credible. Ignato's lawyer used her behavior and testimony to claim that she was the real murderer of Brenda because she was jealous. Another blow was that since Brenda had been buried for over a year, the physical evidence on her body was gone, leaving the prosecutor with no evidence to tie Ignato to her murder. Ignato's lawyer also argued that the audio was bad and that you couldn't tell exactly what Ignato was referring to being buried. Ignato's lawyer proposed that his client was actually referring to a safe that Ignato and Shore had buried, although no such safe had ever been found. For reasons that still confuse and anger everyone else to this day, the jury only took six hours to decide that Melvin Ignato was not guilty of murdering Brenda Sue Schaefer. He was cleared of all charges. And on December 23, 1991, just two days before Christmas, Mel Ignato left the courtroom a free man. Louisville residents, the prosecutor, police, and even the judge were angry at the jurors. When pressed about their decision, the best reasoning that the jurors had was that the case simply wasn't strong enough. Marianne Shore, following through with her plea, was sentenced to five years in prison in February of 1992. She would eventually remarry, and in 2004, while in hospice care, she died. Despite being found not guilty of murder, prosecutors were not finished with Ignato. Unable to convict him on murder, they decided to try and catch him on perjury charges, so they charged him with perjury in relation to his testimony in front of the grand jury. Detectives asked the new owners of the house that Ignato had owned previously if they could search it again, but those owners denied the request. However, luck would finally be on the prosecutor's side. 
Just a few days before Ignato's perjury trial began, a carpet installer working in Ignato's old house found an air vent hidden under some carpet. Inside, he found something that would have changed the outcome of the entire murder trial. Inside the vent, wrapped in baggies, was the jewelry that Brenda had taken to Ignato the night of her murder. Along with that jewelry, dozens of rolls of undeveloped film, police were called. After developing the film, which resulted in over 100 pictures, a terrifying timeline of Brenda's last few hours emerged. Pictures from beginning to the end of Brenda's assault and torture were on the film, and although Ignato's face was never in the frame, police were able to match moles on his body to the ones in the pictures. With this new evidence, Ignato was convicted of perjury and sentenced to eight years in prison. During the sentencing, Ignato made a statement admitting to the murder, during which he turned to the members of Brenda's family in court and said, She died peacefully. Ignato did not serve the full eight-year sentence due to having previously been jailed before his original murder trial and with good behavior. He was released after only five years, but prosecutors still weren't done. They charged him for perjury again for lying under oath in the trial against Brenda's boss, Dr. Spaulding. Ignato was found guilty again and sentenced to nine years in prison. Ignato was released for the final time in 2006 and lived in an apartment just four miles from where he had murdered Brenda. By all accounts, he was still as smug as ever, but tried to keep to himself. He was still very much hated in Louisville. In 2008, fate, karma, or whatever you call it, finally caught up to Ignato. On September 1st, 2008, almost 20 years after he had tied Brenda to a coffee table to rape and torture her, Melvin Ignato was found dead in his apartment. Ignato had died alone, he'd bled to death. His cause of death? He had fallen on his coffee table and cut open his head and arm. If you're being abused and need help, you can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. If you've been a victim of sexual assault or rape, even at the hands of your partner or spouse, you can contact the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'll be back again in two weeks with a case from Illinois. Until then, here are some other podcasts that you can check out. The first is the Murderific True Crime Podcast. You can follow them on Podbean, Stitcher, or iTunes. You can also find their website at murderific.com. On February 17, 1974, in Fort Worth, Texas, 17-year-old Carla Walker was abducted while making out with her boyfriend in the front seat of his car. Carla's brutalized body was found three days later in a cattle culvert near Benbrook Lake. No one has ever been held accountable for Carla's murder. The Gone Cold podcast is seeking justice for Carla Walker, as well as other victims of unsolved crimes and missing persons in the state of Texas. You can subscribe to Gone Cold podcast, Texas True Crime at iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim. Hi, my name is Kit Karen. And we host the Forgotten News Podcast. Jim, I know we're in the middle of recording the promo for our podcast, 
but a thought just occurred to me. Okay. People praise the future because it is blank and featureless. They are afraid of the past because it is full of real and living things. Kit, hey, that is absolutely true for most people, but not for us. On our podcast, we tell true stories from before you were born. Stories that made headlines maybe for a day or a week, then disappeared just as suddenly. It might be a true crime story or an unsolved mystery. It might be a strange or spooky story. It might even be a funny story. <laughs> and if you want to hear some exciting stories about Franklin Roosevelt, Susan B. Anthony, or Alexander Hamilton, well, I'm sorry. You'll need to find a different podcast. Yes, indeed. Because our show tells the stories of the footnote people from history. And sometimes the people who didn't even make it into the footnotes. If you are someone who would like to hear lost but true stories from long ago, then you should definitely listen to the Forgotten News podcast. Yep. The Forgotten News podcast is available on Apple Podcasts also known as iTunes, and nearly every podcatcher out there. So, don't be a fraidy cat. Just tune in and listen to the Forgotten News Podcast. <laughs>